Phil Masterson is uh, leads our training school, as well as uh, Young Adult Ministries here. I I love walking with you, brother. Yeah. I I've been like your brother. <laughs> so, uh, Nate, good to. Thanks for sending him here to work with us, Sarah. <laughs> I'm going to pray for this guy. Lord Jesus, thank you that your word is alive and active and powerful, mm-hmm. sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to divide between soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and to see and expose and to give us light into the intents and motives of our own hearts that we, uh, we don't even know ourselves. So Lord, make your word alive today. Give fresh strength and clarity an anointing to our brother as he speaks. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Here's your pen. Thanks. All right. Well, good morning. It's great to be here. We're in the uh, midst of a series on 1 Corinthians, and I have the privilege of talking today about 1 Corinthians 11. And uh, we're, we're only going to be looking uh, exclusively at the second half of 1 Corinthians 11. So if you want to turn there now, go for it. We're going to be in the text most of the day. And uh, today we're specifically going to be talking about communion, or the Lord's Table, or in in some churches we call it Eucharist. So I'm going to use uh, the Lord's Table and communion interchangeably today, but I mean the same thing, it's the Lord's Table. And so we're going to be looking at communion and why we do communion. See, because communion is one of these things that, as a church, really we should be teaching on every few years, just because we do it so often as a church body. We do it together, and so we need to actually have a, a somewhat of an understanding about it. And so we, we call it a sacrament, and that, that word can seem weird, the sacrament. Some churches call them ordinances. Really, it's just two uh, major sacraments that the, the Protestant churches recognize are baptism and communion. And so they say, hey, the Lord Jesus actually did these things. He, he baptized people, and he, and he commanded us to go and baptize people. And then he also took communion and he, and he told people, hey, do this now in remembrance of me. So these were like the two uh, kind of very specific things that, that Jesus wanted his disciples to continue to do. And so that's what we do. And, and sacraments are just, they're a physical representation of an inward grace that we're receiving. So think of it that way. So baptism, amazing picture of someone right being plunged underneath the water and, and back up. It's dying to sin and, and then coming to life again. It's this physical representation of something that's going on inside. Communion is us taking part in the body of Christ and receiving His blood, His forgiveness over us. So again, it's, it's, a, it's a picture of a divine grace that we're actually receiving. So that's what sacraments are. But the issue is, is that many of us for many years have probably taken communion many, many times. And the danger in that is that it kind of can lose its significance. And people are like, wait, why do we, even, why do, we do communion? We, I've, I've done it all these different ways. Is there a correct way to do it? All, all this kind of stuff. You know, many of you, is, is it bread? Is it crackers like this? Is it a loaf? Is it, uh, do we pass it around? Or do we actually come to the table up, up to the front? Just pretend our, our kind of churches, the way that we do it is we've decided to do crackers and juice. And Different times we pass around. Sometimes we have you come up. There isn't, we don't have like this very strong, specific, hey, this is the way we have to do it. We try it different ways, different times, just to keep it fresh and also just to keep the meaning of it real. And hopefully we lead you guys into a way to respond to it. You know, I was in, uh, some of you do wine or some of you do juice. I was in uh, Germany this summer and they actually uh, give 
they pan out the trays and half of the tray is wine and half of it is juice. And these cups are, are much bigger too. Probably like, I call them two-sip communion cups. And uh, so I was like, I'll take the wine, please. But different people, again, we do different things. We, we, we have different styles of doing it. So today I hope that I can recapture a little bit of the meaning and hopefully stir us to have these reminders of what communion actually means when we take it. So I'm going to look first at the uh, Jewish roots of communion, just really quickly, hey, where does it actually come from? Why do we actually take it? Why did Jesus actually do communion? Then we're going to look at the text, and we're going to look at Paul's harsh rebuke of the Corinthian church and his exhortation. And then, hopefully, we're going to actually have a way that we can specifically respond to it today. So first, the historical context. So Jesus... He's with his disciples. He's celebrating the Passover meal. And he's with them and, and he says, he breaks bread and he takes the wine and he passes it around. He said, hey, these things actually represent me. And what was the Passover meal? So the Passover meal is, is pictured like the Easter of Christ, of, for Christians. Like it's the major holiday of the year, the Passover for the Jews. Because it was the time when they were delivered out of slavery from Egypt. So for 430 years, the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt they cry out to God, and God sends Moses and says, all right, we're going to deliver these guys out of here. There's going to be freedom. Sends nine plagues, right? Blood in the water. Uh, there's livestock that die. Hail. All these crazy things. But still, Pharaoh's like, no, you're going to be my slaves. And then finally, God's like, okay, we've gotten to this point. Here we go. And so he says this, that every single person in Egypt, their firstborn son, will die tonight. It's the 10th plague. And he tells the Israelites, though, he says this, if you sacrifice a lamb, take its blood and actually paint it on the doorposts. It says in Exodus 12, verse 13, it says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. So that was the significance of the, of the word Passover. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. It's the mercy of God. And so great, great, great sadness in Egypt that night when all the Egyptians, their firstborn children or their firstborn son was killed. And so Pharaoh says, all right, get out of here. So that's where G the, the Israelites are actually delivered from slavery. And so for thousands of years now, they've looked back on that event. That's what the Passover is. That's what they're celebrating. And I was, as I was reading a little bit about more about Passover, I thought there was two interesting things that was kind of a traditional uh, part of the Jewish celebration. One was this, is that, again, it was a communal meal, it was a family meal. And what they would do is they would actually recline during the meal in order to show this, it was, it was a leisure, and it was, a, it was ease. It was almost a celebration. It was like, hey, we're celebrating our deliverance. And then there was a specific time in the meal as well that they would actually think back to what would it have been like to be delivered out of Egypt? What was it like for our ancestors to actually be delivered out of slavery? So I think that's kind of two themes that we see even today. We'll see Paul emphasize, and even we today, we, we think of it, it's, it is a somber event, where right? it's the death of Christ, but ultimately it's a celebratory event. We're celebrating freedom from our sins, right? And I love that Jesus took this meal, this, this great uh, Jewish holiday, and he says, all right, now it's mine. I'm seizing this one for me. And he says, from now on, 
You're going to look back on this event and you're going to do this in remembrance of me. You're going you're to break bread. You're going to take the cup. You're going to celebrate the Passover, the mercy that's been given to humanity. You're going to celebrate me. You know, I, I look at it as the most important weekend in history. It's, history hinges on this weekend. And this Thursday night, the night that Jesus took communion, the night he was betrayed, is kind of the setup for his death and his resurrection, the greatest events that have happened in all of history. And so that is what communion is. That is what we look back on and celebrate. So that's, that's some of the Jewish roots. That's what Jesus did. But let's, let's look now at a text. You know, there aren't that many texts in the Bible that deal with communion. There's the gospel accounts of what Jesus did, and then there are Paul talks about it twice in Corinthians. And so there isn't much. So a lot of what we actually do in communion is, comes from more church history, more tradition. And we try to attempt as best we can to follow what the Bible says. But let's look at, this is the, the passage that deals with it the longest. And so let's look at this text. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 34. And I'm going to deal with it in three chunks today. All right, let's read. This is verse 17. So in the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than they do good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper. Sorry, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. This is, I hope you, you picked it up from the, the, the tone, but man, this is a harsh rebuke of the Corinthian church. Paul is angry. He's just spent, it's said that he spent a year and a half with the Corinthians. He got to know these guys. He got to see people actually come to know who Jesus is, raise them up in leadership and say, okay, now you guys do a church. He goes off and he starts writing these letters back and he starts hearing about divisions that are now entering into the church. You see, the way that they would take communion back then is they did it during a common meal. So it wasn't like we do it with the crackers and the juice. They would actually have a meal together as a church, and then during it, they would break bread and pass around wine, and and they would say, okay, now this is a time to signify and remember the Lord. But the problem was is that they were totally divided in these meals. So basically they would come together, they'd call themselves a church, and then the rich would go into one room and eat this like amazing meal where the poor would be in a whole other room, maybe even in the courtyard, totally separated. The rich here getting drunk on wine, the poor having nothing. And then sometime during the meal they would say, okay, hey, let's celebrate our unity. It's kind of ironic, right? It'd be like us having a potluck after church and everybody who brought food coming over and eating it all together and then, you know, all the college students on the other side not having anything. Guys, I'm sorry, we're ragging on you today. You're going to be making more money than me really soon. I I should, yeah. But hey, there's this separation, this division 
that was amongst this church, and yet they would say, okay, so again, imagine this potluck, and then Mark in the middle of it's like, all right, guys, aren't we super united? We're together. Jesus' blood is, and body is for us. That's the, the it, again, we can all picture that being ridiculous, and it, that's what Paul was dealing with. And these are people that he knew and he had interacted with. And so that's the rebuke that he brings. And so now the next paragraph, he's saying, okay, so it starts with a major rebuke. Now he's going to look at the communion and say, this is what it's all about. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What is the real meaning of communion? It's remembrance and it's proclamation. Remembrance and proclamation. I love that Jesus uses uh, real tangible things uh, like bread and wine when he was representing his body. I love that we represent, we have crackers and juice as representations, right? So what, does, what do these things actually mean? What is the body? What does he mean by the body? What does he mean by the blood? I think he means a couple things by the body. Uh, last year in CFTS, we, we have an extended fast. It's during either March or February. So CFTS, get ready, it's coming. And we, we fast, and, and uh, it was during this time that we, we were about to break the fast. So we all come together and we break it, taking communion together. And so I was just meditating on, okay, what am I going to say? Like, how am I going to lead us into communion? And my beautiful, wonderful, amazing wife um, decides at this time to, to bake bread in our, in our apartment. And I don't know about you, but the smell of Fresh baked bread. I mean, just take, can you imagine it right now? I mean, I'm, I'm, so I'm breathing in this bread while, while fasting. And again, another thing that fresh baked bread does is it, it triggers the digestive system in a, in a whole new way, right? It's just something about it. And so I'm sitting there fasting and I'm like, oh, this is so good, but oh, this is so bad. I'm so hungry. And I'm just, and I'm so, it's just three things are happening. One, I'm thinking about communion. One, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about bread. And then I start thinking, okay, well, you know, Jesus said something about bread. He said he's the bread of life. And I was like, where is that? And so I turned to John 6. That's where it is. And I started meditating. It was, it was like this revelation. It was like this eureka moment. It all came together. Jesus, I think part of what he was saying when he was breaking bread and saying, hey, here's this. I think he was referring back to what he had told the disciples, who he was. He says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. John 6. And later on he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give you for the life of the world. So what does the body represent? When we eat Jesus' flesh, I know, I know that's a crazy concept. And it scared away a lot of his disciples. But when we actually eat of it, it, he says, you will be satisfied. And it says, when you eat of it, you will live forever. So what does the body represent? What do we do when we eat this cracker? We, we're saying, I have eternal life. Jesus satiates me. 
He is the one who totally takes care of my hunger. There is nothing else in the world that we should be satiated by besides Jesus. There's nothing else. Elijah was saying that in, as we're talking about my delight, right? The, the, that, you're the one who satisfies, Lord. And like, what, what does that mean? What does it mean to be satisfied? Well, when we eat, we're, we, we reach a level of satisfaction. We don't need more, right? We don't need to indulge in more food. And it's the same way with Jesus. He says, I will actually fill you. Be satisfied in me. So we don't need to go to other places to be satisfied. We don't need relationships. We don't need any kind of sin issues that we feel like satisfy us. Jesus is saying, no, no, no. I'm the bread of life. I want to satisfy you. So that's one part of being the body. What does it mean? And that's what I hope we can meditate on today. I'm, I'm, I'm giving you hopefully nuggets to meditate on as we take communion letter. Second part of what it means to be the body is actually means to be the body of Christ. Us, this church, this room right here. Each one of us who are part of this, who have, who have said, Jesus, you're, you're, you're it. You're the one. We are the body of Christ. In chapter 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says this. He's referring a little bit again to the Lord's Supper. He says, Is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many partake in this one loaf. And then in chapter 12, which Mark's going to talk about next week, it talks about being one body, the body of Christ, and we're many parts. Right? So again, this theme of body, when Jesus says, this is my body broken for you, he's actually saying, you guys are part of me. You're my body. You're the church. Each one of you plays a different part. Mark is the big toenail. I'm maybe the pinky toenail. You know, we, we play different parts, but we're together in this. It's a time when we, when we take the body, but it's, it's a repres- it is one of the, the, the best ways of saying we're together in this thing. We're, t- we're part of the body of Christ together. When, we t- when, when each one of you walk up here today and you take this bread, you are making a commitment to the body of Christ. You're saying, I'm part of this thing. I'm part of your body, Jesus. And I'm part of this church here. I'm committed to these people. And so I joke about that, but Mark and I, we take, when we, we've taken communion in staff meeting before. And there's been reconciliation that has happened. And we say, hey, we're together in this. It's a significant event of us uniting with one another. So that's what the, the body represents. It's this, it's, we eat and we receive actually eternal life. And we receive uh, our hunger is satisfied. So now, what does the blood represent? <clears throat> The blood represents the forgiveness of sins. It's the clearest picture of the Passover lamb, right? They they said, slaughter a lamb, take its blood, paint it on the doorposts. And so instead of painting the blood on the doorposts, what we do is we just, we drink the cup and we say, all right, Jesus, this represents your blood flooding over my life for the forgiveness of my sins. You know, I try to I know this sounds a little gory and messy, but I try to, I try to get into it as much as I can. Because this concept of like the blood coming over us and cleaning us is, just, is it's an interesting concept, isn't it? But I try to picture myself as best as I can. I just like I hug the base of the cross, and I'm just picturing dr- blood actually pouring down onto me. And what the Bible says that that does is that His blood was shed for us that we might be white as snow, we might be white as wool. We might be cleansed completely. 
Our sins are totally forgiven because of the blood of Christ. There's this famous hymn that I love, and, and the line goes like this. It says, There is a fountain full of blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. When we take the blood or when we, when we drink this, I want you to just picture Jesus' blood washing over your life for the forgiveness and cleansing of your sins. That's what it represents. So these things are representations and that's what, as we take communion, we, we're remembering these aspects of what Jesus has done for us. Secondly, what we do is we are proclaiming something when we take it. I love it. This is a simple one, but we proclaim the gospel to ourselves every time we take communion. We preach the gospel to ourselves as we receive it again and again. And don't we need to be reminded of the gospel all the time? I'm with Ron Good. We go out occasionally and do outreach together. And each time before we go and proclaim the gospel to anybody else, we proclaim the gospel to each other. We have to remind ourselves of the gospel for one another. You know, and, and I, both of us played football, and I picture us putting helmets on and like, yeah, let's do this thing. You got it. Jesus loves you. You know, like that's just a little bit of our intensity. But we need to proclaim the gospel over one another. How about when you're in sin? Or when someone you know who's close to you chooses sin? Do you need to hear the gospel again in that situation? Yes. You need to hear that that Jesus' blood has forgiven you. That you can actually eat and be satisfied by Him and not have to go to these things in the world. How about when a loved one dies or someone you know? Do you need to be reminded of the gospel? Or how about when life just straight stinks? You know, when job is terrible, when friends aren't working out, when relationships aren't happening, when children aren't coming, that we need to be reminded of the gospel, that we need to be reminded of the satisfaction that comes in Jesus? Yes, I do. I do. And so that's what communion is. It's, it's us actually proclaiming the gospel to ourselves. It's also a proclamation to any believers or non-believers who are in our midst, I, you know, I hope that there are people here today that have never received the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And I pray that today something would be, someone would awaken inside of you and say, I need that. This is the place for you to come. You can come, welcome at the table of Christ. Receive it. So this is what Paul is trying. You, you see what the heart of communion is? You see what the, we're, we're talking about remembering these amazing concepts, the body and the blood of Christ. And here, he's trying to remind the Corinthians this is what it's all about, yet they're totally messed up in the way that they're doing it. Okay, so now this last paragraph, this last part of this verse is, is his, him trying to correct, him giving a corrective measure. So it says this, In verse 27, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. 
When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further directions. Not going to lie, as I was preparing for this, you know, this is, this is not the easiest uh, passage to, to teach on. I was like, what does this mean? I, you know, I've read this for years, and I've taken communion for years, and I've always thought, what does this actually mean? And I was able to dig into it this week, and here's my best shot. And I think it's, it lines up. I ran it by Mark. He said it was okay. I ran it by a couple other people, and they said it was okay. So I'm, I'm hoping this is good. But what, what can trigger or, or a couple words in this, or a couple phrases really stand out. So coming to the table in an unworthy manner. What, what does unworthy manner mean? What does it mean to examine oneself? Also, what does it mean to drink judgment on yourself? That sounds pretty, that sounds pretty extreme. So he, here's, here's my best shot at this. So what does an unworthy manner mean? Well, I believe, again, we have to see what Paul was referring to in the, in the earlier paragraph. He was harshly rebuking division between poor and rich in this church, came, coming down hard on it. And so I believe that when he's talking about an unworthy manner, it means us, that, that, that image of what I was saying, totally disunified, totally in division, and then saying, hey, but now we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Come on, come on, come on. We're all together in this thing. And yet, total division is just everywhere in the church. I believe that's what he means by an unworthy manner. What does it mean to have division in our church? What is it, what, can we actually approach this table, which should be the most unifying event in, in all of, kind of Christian practices, we're all equal as we come to Jesus Christ. We all are totally in need of his mercy. This is like the great unifier, and yet Paul is saying, you guys are totally divided. So this is the unworthy manner I believe he's referring to. And so he says to us, examine yourself. A man ought to examine himself before he eats and drinks, lest he drink judgment on himself. I believe this is an, an actual examination of oneself and one's relationships in, in the midst of community. I believe this is Paul saying, you guys have to see the way that you're actually living amongst one another, the way that you actually view one another, the issues that you actually have with one another. There was a major systemic issue in the Corinthian church between the rich and the poor. I believe this is also referring to actual interpersonal division that could arise. This judgment theme. Don't drink judgment on yourself. That's why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. What does that mean, right? I believe this. We can kind of understand it when we look at verse 32. It says, when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So this judgment that he's talking about, he's not talking about a heaven or hell judgment from God to the church. And again, he's talking to Corinthian believers I believe he's talking about judgment, which is discipline, godly discipline. And so it's, it's, it seems extreme when he talks about being weak and, and sick and some have fallen asleep or have died. But that is God's judgment on the church for come, calling themselves united but not being. And so this can seem heavy. And I hope it is a little bit. 
Because this is God's call to us to be united as a church. You know, God is serious about division. And he hates it. Paul hates it. Why does he come so hard on this? He hates it. Jesus hates division. In the Sermon on the Mount, twice, he says, in chapter 5, he says, if you're coming to the altar and there, remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift at the altar. Go be reconciled and then come and offer your gift. And then in Matthew 6, it says, right after the Lord's Prayer, this beautiful prayer, and he says, if you forgive men their sins, your Heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Heavenly Father will not forgive you. That's Jesus. Jesus is serious about reconciliation and about unity in his church as well as Paul and as well as God here. So what do we do? How do we respond to this? Now, I worked for four years at a summer camp called Deerfoot Lodge. It's a camp for Christian, it's a Christian camp for boys up in, uh, up in the upstate New York. And we'd come uh, for three weeks, we'd go to pre-camp. And 70 guys, all of us counselors, we'd come and we'd just train. We'd be getting ready for the actual boys to come. Eight weeks of actual ministry to these kids. And the night before these kids would actually come, we would have a communion service. And our director, uh, we'd be singing hymns, and our director would say, okay, guys, we're about to embark upon eight weeks of some serious discipleship. We have to be united as we go forward. And so what he would say is this. He would say, okay, this is the time to make right with those around us. And so guys would just go throughout the service. We'd just be singing hymns. They'd go, you know, you'd see a guy stand up, go tap another guy on the shoulder and pull him outside. A couple minutes later, they would come back in. And inevitably, there'd be smiles on their faces. They'd be probably arm in arm or arm over shoulder, just united. There was, there was joy in whatever reconciliation had happened. And even for the ones that weren't tapped on the shoulder, it was like, awesome. They're making it right amongst themselves. They're, they're becoming unified. It's one of the most powerful uh, kind of services or, or parts of communion that I've ever been a part of is that time, that, that night before we would embark on this eight weeks together. And so, guys, in response, and Ben, you guys can come on up. This is our call to, to us today. I want to make a call to, to reconciliation in our midst. I want to make a call to, to making yourself right with one another. Identifying some of the divisions that might be in your own heart towards others. And actually going and making it right today. We have time. We have 15 minutes where we're just, it's going to be a time of response. And, and you're going to actually be able to go and approach people if you have anything that you need to have forgiveness for. This is the time to do it. And what does that actually look like? What does reconciliation look like? Married couples, you cannot say sorry enough. I already have a list for Leslie. (laughs) We're going to be reconciled today. Roommates. I was a roommate for years and years and years. And and what, what often happens with roommates is issues get brushed under the rug. Almost for years. They don't they're never addressed. There's never forgiveness for things. And so my call today, if you have roommates, Identify what is something. It, it doesn't have to be major. It could be something simple. I'm sorry that I did this. Will you forgive me? Yes. Friends. I think of CFTS this year. We've been spending a lot of time together. I know there's stuff that has come up. Be reconciled with those around you.
I'd be amiss to not reference again the systemic issue that's uh, in the Corinthian church between the rich and the poor. And, and, and again, I, if, if something's not immediately at your head in terms of a division with someone here in this church, I, wanna, I want you to ask the question, hey, what is, what is my view of the poor? You know, I look out, I, I, you know, at, at, at our, and they're, they're very well maybe poor amongst us, and I believe there are. But that might be a whole other thing, is that where are the poor? Are we interacting with people of other socioeconomic levels? And what is your view of that? How do you, how do, is, is there anything wrong there? And dialogue with the Lord about that. Guys, this is a time to meditate on God's, Christ, your, his body and his blood, and to be reconciled with one another. That's what communion's all about. So how we're going to do it is this. We're just going to have space. All right, and, uh, and examine yourself. Take time to actually examine yourself. And it says, judge yourself so that you might not be judged. Look at your own life. Judge yourself. And make reconciliation happen amongst our church. And then as you do that, hey, come up to these tables up here and, and go ahead and grab a cracker and a, and a wine. And, and, and you're going to take it yourself. Or you can take it in a group. Or you can take it with another person. And then with about five minutes left, we'll just make sure we're, we're leading the service. But we have about 15 minutes, so I, I want us to do some work in our own hearts right now. Let me pray for us, and then we'll respond. Jesus Christ, I, I ask that the Lord's Supper, that communion would never be just another religious thing. Lord, we would really grasp the meaning of it. Why did you say to remember me in this? And so, Lord, Jesus, we believe that you are in a very tangible way in our midst, always, but even more so when we're inviting your body and your blood here. And so, Jesus, come and, re- and speak to us, Lord. Any reconciliation that's needed, any, any views of the, of the poor, Lord, call us. Remind us, Lord, of... of, of any way that we have we need reconciliation in our lives so pray for a powerful response in Jesus name